keeping the T organization closer to not just offer accepted and then next role. And you kind of stay over here in your lane was to try and bring the organization a bit closer to the onboarding. And it gives us more skin in the game. And especially when it comes to things like employer branding and integrity of that in terms of what we're selling to candidates, it has to be truly authentic. So to have ownership in that swim lane, you can't hide from that. And what I mean by that is I would never want recruiters in any of my teams to sell something that wasn't accurate. And that gives us more ownership and credibility, I feel. Hello, and welcome to The Talent Blueprint, your guide to building a talent-first company. Today features an interview with Mark Smith, head of talent acquisition at the Kraft Heinz Company. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for companies to deliver more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce using industry-leading AI. Hello and welcome everyone to this week's installment of the Talent Blueprint. I am your host, Alton Seidov, and I am extremely excited to welcome today to the episode, Mark Smith, the head of talent acquisition from Kraft Heinz. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. How's this week treating you? It's going well. Thank you. It's it's great to be here on this call. Good to see you again, Sultan, as well. Yeah, you too. Well, I'm excited about a number of the themes that we can dig into. Kraft Heinz is an incredible company, one of the most known household names in the world. It must be an interesting and exciting place to be throughout the ups and downs of the current environment. But before getting into all of that, Tell me a little bit about your role at Kraft Heinz, Mark, and the kind of work that you've been doing and what you're focusing on there. Of course, yeah. So my name's Mark Smith. I've been in talent acquisition for 20 years. The last 1.5 nearly of that, I've been here at Kraft Heinz. I oversee talent acquisition. So all of talent acquisition, sometimes that can get fragmented, but I have ownership of everything from contingent all the way through to hourly, full-time employees through to executive hiring. I cover the North America zone, which is a large proportion of our revenue as an organization. So it's about 80% of our revenue. I provide an alliance, a strategic alliance with our international zone colleagues. And uh, I also have responsibility for world headquarter hiring. And in addition to TA, I actually also oversee what we call here talent integration, which essentially is that period of time from the acquisition of the talent that offer accepted, pre-boarding, onboarding. And integration really being that first 12 months as well. So that's quite novel, I think, in TA to actually have that. But it's something I've always asked for to give more credibility to as TA professionals and to ensure it's not overly transactional, which is often the case in TA. I've actually not heard of the concept of talent integration described that way. It's something we have seen come up a lot more, though, in that journey you're describing of from pre-boarding to onboarding in the last couple of years. In the world where talent shortages have led a lot of organizations to have to hire for potential and not necessarily be able to hire for all the requirements of the role as desired, there's a lot of companies that are hiring without necessarily having the continuity in the candidate experience of how do we then help them train and match into the relevant mentoring and courses. And as a result of companies not being able to do that and having this kind of transactional, as you say, approach to it, there's been a rise in new hires leaving or as you could say, a drop in new hire retention and lots of challenges. So it sounds like a, a pretty major initiative and pretty novel. Is this something that you saw as an opportunity when you joined? How did that get started and how did that come about? Yeah, the role was advertised uh, and I was approached for a TA. From a career point of view, I've been looking for 
some extras i think you know for, and that's pu- purely from a developmental point of view as, as i explore wider talent segments not just ta and i was interested from the start i think the first six months i wanted to fix a few challenges that, that we had here at craft Heinz within the talent acquisition organization so i joined in september of 2021 and it's probably on january february of this year that i started to knock on the door or with my leader to see if there was an opportunity there well i think what i'd seen was a model that was was good but probably with absolute respect one that was probably a little too basic and one that was in a quite a routine-esque setting that did open up i felt doorways for complacency and not an awesome user experience and we're always on that quest to be progressive and better as a team that will never end but i think where we're at now is one where we're developing a more enhanced experience for our people that are joining so to answer your question is purely selfish but from a ta point of view backed up probably 50 percent of that was that i felt as though the TA organization could do more. So keeping the TA organization closer to not just offer accepted and then next role, you kind of stay over here in your lane was to try and bring the organization a bit closer to the onboarding. And it gives us more skin in the game. And especially when it comes to things like employer branding and integrity of that in terms of what we're selling to candidates, it has to be truly authentic. So to have ownership in that swim lane, you can't hide from that. And what I mean by that is... I would never want recruiters in any of my team to sell something that wasn't accurate. And that gives us more ownership and credibility, I feel. So that was a big reason for it. It's very cool. And it's actually something we're starting to see happen in more companies from a part of what you've said, that responsibility of talent acquisition having to be closer to the employee experience as seen threads that have emerged from the diversity side. We've heard um, folks on the talent blueprint speak about how in order to create an effective diversity strategy, you need to have access to employee ERG groups and the way that people authentically live those experiences and then be able to connect that into the talent experience. Otherwise, you're just ticking a box. And we've seen companies who have met their diversity hiring targets, but then become less diverse during that timeframe as a company because of that discontinuity. And creating that flywheel of employee experience is super powerful. But it's, um, it's amazing to see how you have been able to create such fast advocacy for this and such fast change. What have been some of the most sort of rewarding lessons in your role and in, in creating this kind of hybrid and broader talent-centric perspective? Actually, it happened the other day. Uh, one of my first hires was, he won't mind me mentioning him, I don't think, but Robert Scott. He is our chief R&D officer for The Zone. And he was, I say, my, my first executive hire when I got here. He joined December 1st. So last Thursday was his anniversary in the company. And he wrote me to thank me for my part in his journey here. And that means a lot because it's not very often that you have candidates that convert to employees that come back to you. And I feel as though the positive has been because there's that follow through with talent acquisition through to integration, especially at a leadership level, what we're seeking to do and we're evolving this idea but with executives is actually a separate program and we're calling it not overly sexy but the executive integration program and part of that is an initial period of quite high intensity where what used to happen and i think possibly still does in pockets of the business and you know we need to work on that but it is really much here's your laptop and have fun good luck you know be great and i think that can be very empowering and inspiring in different ways but 
it can also be quite a lost and lonely period for executives. And so what I'm proud of most is for executives that have joined, we've helped them with their pre-onboarding. So I think of Robert using that example. I had the opportunity to get a feeling of his family situation where he was, you know, I stayed close to him in terms of where he was renting. His first day, we were in the pandemic, so we had to be, you know, quite thoughtful of that. I remember remember that this time last year. Um, me and my team, there's a gentleman called Jay Smith in my team who oversees a lot of the executive integration stuff, who's wonderful. But Jace and I did his, what we call new leader transparency session. In the market, you hear of new leader assimilation. And just to pick on that as a side note, I find the word assimilation quite divisive, somewhat controlling, and it suggests that you will assimilate. One of you will assimilate when actually it's a compromise, it's a negotiation, it's an understanding, it's a tolerance, it's an understanding. And when me and Jace were thinking, you know, we didn't spend too long on this, it's probably about three minutes, but we said we need to change the term. So we called it New Leader Transparency Session, an NLT. So we ran the NLT with Robert and his team. We've had a series of follow-ups with his team. And I feel as though what's been rewarding is to actually help Robert not only understand the role, but be with him on the journey as a talent leader to help him through the challenges that he and his leadership team face and to become a better team. What I truly like is the consultancy end of talent acquisition. There's no denying that there's a huge amount of reactive, transactional. It, it is that business, but there's this constant quest that me and, and I'm pushing this with my team, my team are pushing me as well as to be on that other end where let's talk about workforce planning. And I feel as though we've got that balance quite well between the operational delivery in the main and then the consultation side of it, which we, which was not really there in the past. It was, we over-indexed, I think, on operational execution, but that didn't make us a seat holder at the table of decisions. Now we come up with quite cool new products as a team and I think we're taking more seriously as a credible partner. Since you mentioned it, let's talk about workforce planning. Let's talk about org design. I think the, this question around how are we measured and measuring ourselves is an interesting one in the times that most talent teams are finding themselves, both in the last couple of months, but certainly going into what is in many countries a recessionary environment. There's an increasing need for agility in how we make talent decisions and an increasing opportunity for talent teams to become more strategic and to, as you say, stop having to over-index on operational execution, which I think over the last couple of years, many talent teams have been forced into by the urgency of hiring and the scarcity of talent and the war for talent. How have you thought about this? How, how have you thought about measuring success with all these new initiatives and cool new products? How have you thought about what does this start to drive? So having had all the metrics in the world, I've, I've worked with some wonderful organizations, this one, Kraft Heinz, SC Johnson, Amazon, and Caterpillar. And I also work at, used to work at Randstad as well on, on the other side as a service provider. So I've worked for five companies in my career that are pretty good at data from different perspectives, especially Amazon. But the biggest metric that affects me and from my career most is perception of the leadership team. So keeping them aware of the stats, but the reality behind those numbers is so important. So the thing that I try and keep a pulse check on, and this takes me back to my client management days when I was at Randstad with Caterpillar, actually one of my main clients, and Rolls-Royce and other clients, but was talking, listening, engaging how they feel. And 
that measure is going to hate the data scientists. But but genuinely, that gumption of how my president's feeling today, I've engaged three of probably the 10 presidents in the company. It's 11.20 central time. So for the last few hours, I've, I've caught up with them. And as customers, I'm trying to get a feel of how they are. Very quickly, things can turn in TA and in, in the talent market. Often you're only as good as your last hire or your last experience. And that's when all the stats go out the window. You know, whether that's time to hire, uh, time to hire diversity hire, quality hire, et cetera. All those stats matter. And we do look at them. We, we go through them from a number of perspective and lens to make sure that we're really looking at this cross-functionally by band, by location. We do all that data analysis and insight development. But for me, that one thing is it's keeping a conversation live and going with, with each of the senior leaders to understand what's going on because that will feed the workforce planning process a very qualitative end but also from a customer execution perspective how are you feeling how things is getting to things earlier and quicker versus letting it often fester in the leader's mind and then they blow their gasket you know further down the line so i think that the measure that matters most to me is how my customers are feeling and that took me a while to understand sort of i think uh, for many years i'll just say well you know, look at the report. It's great. You know, we're doing wonderfully. I just don't feel great. That I don't. Why not? You know, it's that feeling. So I think, in addition to the metrics, it's the the emotion of the journey matters most. We've uh, had a few folks on this podcast that have spoken about the power of listening to candidates, to employees, and the importance of keeping that pulse in order to not just run at presumptuous initiatives. What have been some of the things that you have? adjusted in your own strategy based on what you've seen about those feelings and those leadership interactions? What have been some points where you've thought, wow, I hadn't thought about that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do things differently. There are executives in this company that have been here for four years. I've never actually sadly visited a manufacturing facility because they're, and that's not because they don't care. They do care. They're just so busy in their current day-to-day role that to have the opportunity is kind of past the moment. But what we want to do is, and we are doing it, is in the first those first few weeks is make sure that our leaders, listening to the leaders, you know, going back to your question, but they have a day on in Walmart, you know, they have a day or in Tesco, you know, wherever that may be, that location may be where they understand our consumer. That's important for humility. Humility is one of our ambition and humility are two of our most important values in terms of leadership here. So understanding the consumer is important how we merchandise how the merchandise reps works what consumers attracted to what's important right now who are our competitors how do we position ourselves on the shelves what's our sales strategy what's online versus not Uh, and all those elements are really important whether you're in finance or procurement or hr and obviously more important if you're in that in a brand marketing as a gm but really understanding who buys the product but then you've got to go all the way to the other end and understand how do we make our product? That's getting an understanding of how R&D connects our supply chain manufacturing. So making sure that our new leaders understand the inner workings of manufacturing. And once again, driving further humility to understand a different workforce. I imagine this approach of treating your leaders as customers and really listening to how they're feeling must also help with driving change. And when you're trying to roll out initiatives and products i imagine that you kind of de-risk some of the things that a lot of people run into with change management by having that relationship and dialogue but even with that i suspect 
in the year and a half that you've clearly been driving some pretty major changes and thinking about the talent journey and trying to create this authenticity and consideration of different stakeholders, inevitably there's going to be some frictions that you run into and some challenges that you run into and in trying to navigate and bring about change. What have those been for you? And have there been frictions you've run into with your own team and trying to get people to think differently about pre-boarding and that candidate experience? Have there been frictions with other stakeholders in the business? And how have you gone through that? biggest probably challenge has been the resourcing of that change is getting people to want to be on that journey i don't have a unlimited pool of resource to deliver this and and in truth the excellence comes from the, the local knowledge so if i think of sales if i've got a new executive in toronto it makes sense for that executive to meet the ontario sales reps that understand that market more same with, you know, if I'm hiring for a role in Walmart. So the local knowledge means a lot. So the biggest, I won't say it's friction point, but it's a hurdle to overcome is how we tell the story to get people excited and on board with the idea. So the point of overcoming that has been getting people to tap into their own onboarding experiences. I'm, I'm leaning on that just to keep that example for this call. What we've been doing is is actually taking quotes and feedback from executives that joined the last couple of years and put them in a couple of the slides, you know, the pre-read and the actual presentation to say, this is how it felt, you know, the good and bad and ugly. And rather than going straight to, this is what we're going to do and unpacking it, is actually reminding people that emotion again of how daunting it can be. And in, in some cases, how daunting we've made it as an organization for our, our leaders. So there is a big focus right now on, and it's largely driven by me, I want leaders to really buy into this because then eventually, once we're done with the leaders, we're going to push this down so we have more of a white glove, red carpet feel for all employees. And I think it makes sense to start there because if they feel it, you know, some of these leaders can impact 250 people and you know very quickly and easily. And if they're feeling it, and also if they buy into it, it can also help from a, a budgetary perspective you know, as well, which is often the case if you're going to expand the program. So this is part of the vision is let's get the execs in a good place and then let's go all the way down to the most junior level so that theirs isn't just a four or five hour onboarding session, but they actually can go through something that's curated and thoughtful. What really comes through to me in both this onboarding example and what you mentioned even right at the beginning about thinking about the people's journey rather than the processes, taking this human-centric rather than process-centric approach. It's a thing that's been difficult for a lot of businesses because a lot of the technologies and tools we've built up and people practices have been process-centric, whether it's payroll or onboarding or applications. And this mindset of shifting towards thinking about people, and you mentioned the importance of community and the importance of people's experience, can be very powerful, but can also be very difficult to implement based on some of the, the limitations and tools we have. When you think about that, power of community and the power of the differences that, that exist across Craft Heinz and those different locations like you mentioned. I know that you're personally passionate about people's satisfaction and engagement and flexibility. And in the last two years in particular, that's taken on some new lights for the questions of flexibility, um, either returning to work or where you work and what wellness looks like and mental health. These, these things have become so much more important. And it's important both for employees, but also for the authenticity of what you're doing when hiring. You can't really position that brand without meaningfully changing the opportunities available internally.
how have you uh, approached implementing those internal programs for wellness and flexibility? And how have you brought that authenticity to life and to the, the broader talent experience? We are a very much a people-centric organization and there's a tangibility to our products and there is it is a touch taste sensation so we do put a lot of emphasis on our products and our involvement in the community as well even within our own communities you mentioned ergs so we like to bring events forward with all our ergs and i can think of several we've had just in the last few months even more recently with international disability day on which i think fallen on friday or saturday so we place a huge emphasis on heritage and diversity. So the hybrid ways of working, we've also implemented a policy which is work from anywhere six weeks of the year, which is pretty cool. So I'm personally looking forward to that. I think, Sultan, you're based in the UK. So I'm looking forward to coming back home and seeing family, but also working and seeing family as well. That's something that's quite difficult for other organizations, but this company has implemented that policy. There's a number of other features we, we have as part of benefits. So we have a few applications that Castlight is, is one of those apps where we work through Castlight provide, let's say it's kind of, it's a health benefit, but it provides focus on almost competition focus on how you're eating, how you're sleeping, how many steps you're getting in, what's your biometrics, here's a place to go and points mean prizes as well, which is pretty cool. And there's this functionality access to things like the Calm app as well. So, you know, listening to, you know, cello music in the rain and <laughs> things like that, which normally you'd have to pay for the app. That's the benefit of Craft Hind. So we also have created a new app, which is going to start to go live in the next few months, but it's called The Vine. So it's not a throwback to what was, I think, purchased by Twitter many years ago, but it's our, our Vine and it's more of a, a nod to tomatoes and plants etc but we we have this communication network through an app that is helping people communicate at their leisure or leisure which i think is also helping how people feel about flexibility but i think the most important thing and i was actually part of a talk this morning at a global session with our chro and, and a few of my colleagues in singapore amsterdam and some other locations and we spoke of you mentioned earlier the power of authenticity because a lot of these things, you can have them like dotted around and, and they sound good, but do you really use them? And I think that that's down to us as leaders to truly, with feeling and emotion and a pure sense of action, you know, use them. Especially, I've got over 40 people within my organization here at Kraft Heinz. I have to lead by example more. You know, so I, you know, I have a word of myself, like the six-week work from home. And I'm very careful about the hours I do to make sure that, one, I protect myself, but also I'm an example. And I remember when I used to look up to, to my leaders, in the, I still do, um, I shouldn't be careful how I say that, but when I used to really look up and I was more impressionable, I would often copy and do harder or more. And that isn't often healthy. I love a few of the things you mentioned there, particularly the vine. It sounds like you've reinvented the grapevine as an empathy and authenticity laden tomato vine. Sounds <laughs> very interesting. It's presumably something that is now a core part of how you are considering recruiting and onboarding people. You've mentioned it in the case of leadership and transparency, but what's coming across is this focus on empathy, humility, understanding of communities across the board. How is it that you 
have thought about the the evolution of this focus on empathy and authenticity? Have there been things that have adjusted in how you are recruiting, how you're training people across the board? Has there been lessons learned in the the role of this sort of mindset? Yeah, I think the lesson learned was going back in time, actually, just to give you some some stories and context to this. Back in 2018, I utilized Kraft Heinz as a negative example of how Glassdoor can kill you. At that point, there was, I think it was a Financial Times article on Kraft Heinz, and it really featured on some of the some of the truths and potential mistruths of how people were feeling, but it's perception, you know, which I touched on earlier. And the rating was, I think it was 2.4 or 2.2. I remember that July 2018. And as I say, when I was at SD Johnson, I used it as a mill ticket to drive, this could be yes, and if we don't get it right. So I used it to tell a different story. And a lot of the stories that were coming out of my current company, Kraft Heinz back then, was that this was a cold culture, difficult organization, terrible leadership. Things like ZBB, zero-based budgeting, were mentioned and as weapons. Of not be, nobody really understood it, but it sounded terrifying. ZBB, um, zero-based budgeting. You have no money, which isn't the case. And when I was approached by Kraftheinz, I actually bought into that level of prejudice. And I, I said no the first time I was approached. The second time, I said no, thank you. And the third time, because I'm terribly polite and British in that respect, <laughs> I said okay. I'll, I'll talk. And I eventually talked to a lot of people. And what I realized I was doing, which moved from intrigue, became definite interest. And what I felt was that the story about is in the market was not truly accurate. And in truth, for me, was the biggest learning was when I came in, and it was actually one of the questions from Melissa Wernick, our chief HR officer. She and I had a conversation in my final interview and she and I spoke of others telling us, it was her words, others have been telling our story for us and we need to tell our story better. And we had a good discussion about that. And I, I said, that's why I'm attracted to this position because it is terrible. The employer brand sucks and I want to make it better. And what I'm pleased to say is that through authenticity, authentically listening to our employees, authentically having organizations speak to our employees to get a sense of how they're feeling impartially, what we've been able to achieve in 12 months is when this time last year we had one award in our employer award closet for the North America zone. International are always killing it. International are great and it continues to be great. But we weren't in the US and Canada. Today, we're at 13 awards for this year. So one, three. So it's a plus 12 increase. I'm really happy with that. Somewhat terrified for next year's challenge. You know, It's got a minimum 13 now. But I'm, I'm, I embrace the challenge. But we've got from we've got to 13 awards, you know, to be on with Forbes, Newsweek, Bloomberg. These are serious awards. These aren't, you know, the corner shop awards with the greatest parts of corner shops. These are credible awards, incredible organizations. So we've slowly, you know, moved our reputation around. And going back to the glass door, we're at 3.5 now. So it's average, but it's a lot better than two point something, you know, which we were some years ago. So I feel as though the change has been really telling our story and doing so, as you mentioned in, in the question and the context around it, with there's a humanity. I think if you're going to have 13 times the awards next year, you're going to go into triple digits, Mark. You'll have to expand the, uh, the triple cabinet. It's, it's an amazing story <laughs> and it's uh, difficult to have such a large organization go through 
so much transformation in a short space of time, especially after, as you've said, you're incorporating other companies, other company cultures. I think there's going to be lots of industries with consolidations, lots of people reassessing their career paths and journeys. When you think forwards to the next couple of years and both the future for Kraft Heinz, but also for, for the industry, what are some of the things that you think about as key to recipes for success? I'm glad you asked this question. Actually, says well-timed. Authenticity is important, but it, it needs to sit across some fundamentals. And certainly when I think of this organization and other organizations, you've got to have the right technology. You've got to be smart. You've got to have good people there. There's got to be that hardworking element to it. The skills have to be there. Authenticity is really the glue, I feel, that connects a lot of it together with feeling that creates more engagement, empowerment, enthusiasm, disruption, loyalty. If Without it, it's harder to find those connections. But authenticity on a standalone means nothing. You know, without, you know, in terms of if you're going to grow and be disruptive and progressive as an organization, you need to have a lot more. That is what I focus on as well, that we need to maintain that piece around empathy and care and our leadership principles. So the doubling down on one, how we acquire leaders, and two, how we develop and empower them through the course of their career. And even that's finding emerging leaders and nourishing them to be great, great leaders that inspire. So I think leadership development is something that can't be underinvested in or taken into account. So important. The strengths that we have are often go back to our childhood. They're groomed through our interactions at that age. And maybe that's through parenting or friends or, or other influences. But I'd say that working to skills and strengths will be so important for us to retain and attract great talent, but also innovate disruptively because people are in the right box, you know, where they should be at. So some of the stuff that I'm along with my other TA colleagues in the market, is attacking is notions like degrees. Degrees are important. I've got two. I value them greatly. And I have a lot of wonderful relationships with universities around the world. But there's a lot of people that don't have degrees as well, but they have wonderful experience and strengths. Maybe they couldn't afford a degree. Maybe life wasn't right at that time for them to do a degree, but then their career took over. So looking at things in different ways not just degrees not just tenure of experience but really focusing on skills and strengths so that for me is where i'd love us to have more um i guess code a a better code in that so that as an industry set of industries actually we're thinking differently and more disruptively about the strengths because we often get labeled quite quickly like he she cpg their retail and actually it's the strengths and the leadership that make that person great, not necessarily their contextual understanding of the subject. It's an exciting time for that type of skill centricity. There's a lot of technologies that haven't been available before that help bridge the gap between what your role is today versus what it could be. You know, one of the big things that we've seen through our own customer base and technology is how impactful taking a skills-based view, not just internally, but in the conversations you have with your candidates and your employees and how you provide transparency with it can be not just on the experience, but on 
how effectively you can assess these elusive metrics like quality of hire, how effectively you can start providing people with transparency about their careers. Final question in this sort of future-facing perspective, Mark, if you came back five years from now, what else do you hope will have changed in the in the world of talent? Are there things, if we dare to dream, that you hope will have happened and taken place? Yeah. Some of the quests that I've been on, on for a number of organizations are around inclusion. So I, I would hope that we've overcome some of that, a lot of that, all of it. It would be great, actually. When I think of women in leadership, so if I'm going five years in the future with this one, right, so I'm five years ahead of this example, I'd say it would be wonderful if we, this is more natural for us to be stronger at hiring for people of color, veterans, individuals with disabilities. There are still a number of barriers to overcome within an organization and within the culture of that, but also externally to get there. So for me, that would be awesome, would be to see that we've broken that. And and actually, we're not having to measure that to, I think you mentioned earlier, almost we've done it right, we've got the measures, we've ticked the boxes, but it's it's truly there you know it's there we've given all that hope and opportunity to to all people irrelevant of characteristic and we focus on as we discussed the skills and strengths i couldn't agree more and obviously these things run deep i've started hearing of the metaverse as well as an unbiased methodology but these things are band-aids to to sort of a bigger mindset shift i think it it also goes back to that principle of thinking about people's capabilities and potential and not recruiting based on which schools people went to and not giving people opportunities based on what's happened before, but really trying to open that up. And I think that runs deep at the level of, as you say, society, but also company culture, you know, embracing that upwards uh, mobility is something that can happen within companies too. Well, Mark, it's been a, an amazing conversation. Uh, thanks so much for sharing your insights and perspectives. And I've, uh, I've picked up a, a whole suite of terms from uh, <laughs> integration through to NLT. So I appreciate all the wisdom. It's been uh, great to have you here. Thank you for having me, Sultan. Appreciate you. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for enterprises to drive more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce with industry-leading AI. Beamery optimizes every step of the talent lifecycle, from sourcing and identifying talent with the right skills and potential, to building and marketing your employment brand, creating an internal talent marketplace, and mobilizing your employees through getting the reporting and talent insights that you need to make better decisions about your workforce. Are you ready to unlock your talent? Learn more at beamery.com.